Welcome to The Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. In this episode, I'm starting to address the COVID-19 crisis and its impact on the retail industry with a mix of episodes interviewing retail advocates, thought leaders, strategists, and retailers themselves as we all work together to get our arms around the shock to the world. First up, Deanne Brisebois, President and CEO of Retail Council of Canada, is my special guest. After 25 years serving the retail community in Canada, Deanne and her team's substantial skills are being put now to the ultimate test. Next, live from Singapore, Frank Lavin, founder and CEO of Export Now, returns to the podcast to update us on the Chinese market as they get their arms around the Corona-19 crisis and start to see daylight yielding important lessons and opportunities for retailers out of what Frank describes as a tornado of bad news. Finally, Marc Fortin, president of a Retail Council of Canada, CCCD, Quebec, joins me from his home office in Montreal. We hone in on the province of Quebec and the work Mark and his team is doing to support and advocate for retailers, how key connections to government will leverage Quebec's food industry to get food onto grocery shelves in innovative and bold ways. But first, let's jump right into my conversation with Deanne Brisebois from Retail Council of Canada. Deanne, welcome to The Voice of Retail. How are you doing? I'm good, Michael. How are you? Well, you know, I, I should pause and, and say 25 years of, of running and operating Retail Council of Canada has, has certainly prepared you as well as anyone or anything could. Well, uh, there's absolutely no question that it's there is a big advantage of having been in the trenches, so to speak, with our retailers across the country for so many decades. Uh, but I think I would echo everyone's sentiment in saying no one could be well prepared for what we're going through <laughs> right now. So it is, uh, it's astounding. Uh, let me ask you, how are retailers coming together in this crisis? You've been at the apex of it uh, for months. I, you and I were talking about the challenges to the supply chain several months ago when it was a distant problem in China, but now that it's on our doorstep, talk about how retailers are coming together. What are they doing together and how are you bringing them together to, to help each other and, and, and to help guide uh, Canadians and, and really the, the people who govern Canadians through this crisis? I, I love that question because I, I'm always so proud to say that um, I have never seen uh, an industry so committed to uh, the sector, to everybody. Um, uh, retailers, small, you know, we're talking about, um, I'm thinking of one in particular, but there's there are thousands of them. Uh, an independent retailer with one employee, and she has been reaching out. She's also, you know, apart from saying, can you help, she has been saying, can I help? What can mm-hmm. I do? And that's been echoed right through uh, the sector. What we are doing uh, as their association is that we are uh, not only bringing them together with regular video conference calls since this begun and bringing experts on the phone, including our exceptional government relations staff across the country to answer questions, to provide more details about measures that are announced, uh, be they payroll uh, measures or store closing, the, uh, the definition of essential retail and the likes. And over and above that, we have built a very robust a coronavirus retail website to provide uh, just-in-time information to uh, all types.
types of retailers in the sector so that uh, they know exactly what's happening in their community, in their region, in their province, and across the country. And with that, we've also added uh, a lot of tools to help them deal with uh, other issues that come up that were not uh, expected. So, you know, we're talking about loss prevention, about risk, Mm -hmm. about uh, the health and wellness of employees, um, rent, I mean, you know, the list goes on. And obviously our folks right across the country uh, take uh, calls every day, uh, reach out to the community. And so, and so that's what we're doing. And obviously, as you know, because I know you're going to ask me, what are we doing with governments? So <laughs> yeah. why don't I just jump in? Sure. I mean, sure. That, that's probably been my mind. strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been, and you know, because you've been uh, part and parcel of this incredible team that we have at RCC, and uh, to to help our retail community. But you know, most importantly. Uh, we have uh, a great team of government relations folks who um, have been working with our members and specifically with all levels of government. So mm-hmm. we're not only speaking with and meeting virtually with the Federal Minister of Finance and, and his team or the Prime Minister's office and his team, but we are also talking to the premiers and we're talking to uh, health officials. We're talking to the ministers of economic development. Uh, we're, and it, when I say we're talking, there are two things happening. One, they want to know what's happening in real time in, in the industry. And they want to know the impact of their decisions on the sector. They want our advice. And then part two is us being very strong at advocating for the members, me- measures we think are going to be most important and most beneficial to retailers. So uh, that's what we're doing, and that we are doing literally 24-7. You know, one of the things that strikes me during this is is I think of, you know, the, the, the rock band that's the uh, – 10 years in the making overnight success. I mean, it's a lot of work over many years and building lots of relationships across governments at all levels by the team, right? I really have to hand it to the team because, you know, they, they, they're they trusted as uh, as partners in this. Um, you know, when they reach out, they, yeah. we've been yeah. working with government officials on all kinds of different things in a collaborative fashion as, as we kind of do. So it's it's not like a from a cold start, suddenly you're you're calling people, right? It's, it's yeah. really, you know, it's been it's been a long time coming, right? Well, and I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that's why we have such a large community of retailers uh, connected with us now more than ever. And that's because um, as an association, we uh, have been more effective than others because we've invested, and thanks to the support of, of all our small, mid, and large members over the years, we RCC has invested heavily in government relations staff a very qualified, highly qualified staff who, uh, number one, had uh, uh, experience within the government world, so be it in a minister's office or uh, at a senior civil service 
servant right. position. They right. know, they understand the operation of government. And two, they have developed those relationships, as you've said. It does not happen overnight. It, it astounds me every day when we have an issue uh, that comes up, how effective they are and, and how um, amazing it is that they have a direct line to some of the most senior policymakers at the municipal, provincial, federal, and territorial level. It's, uh, and that, you're absolutely right, that doesn't happen overnight, which is the reason why a lot of the retailers in the country who may not have been that close to RCC are now very close to RCC mm. uh, because of our effectiveness in that area. And, and, you know, the other thing, it goes both ways. You need to make sure that you're there during good and bad times. You're not right. there just to push governments and to ask, but we were always there when they needed us, uh, when they needed ideas, when they needed support. And so that's a relationship and trust that's built over many, many years. And I, I'm, I'm just honored to be working with the, uh, the government relations folks at RCC right across the country because they, they have made us proud. Let's shift our lens to retailers themselves. I mean, really, you know, you could think about them as, as those who are essential and have been deemed essential, those who have been deemed non-essential, they have different needs. So I'm just trying to back, you know, frame a question um, that is, mm-hmm. what are the needs of the retail community? Um, and and what, what are the top things that you're, you're pursuing, you're hearing uh, in general from the retail community and then maybe uh, from each of those different parties? I suspect that, that the what we call the essential retailers, many of them are just in operations mode. They're just executing, making sure the food on the shelf and goods on the, on the shelf to feed and to make sure Canadians are safe. And, and any sense of, like, what's the top kind of three things that you, you hear are the top three priorities of the broad retail community? Well, and the only way to be able to answer that is, in fact, to kind of separate the two groups, those who are still uh, fully operational and they fall in the essential services category. So they have a set of priorities and concerns. And then you have those who may still have e-commerce operations but have closed uh, their store or all of their stores depending on their size. So let me talk about those who are, are not operating as essential services. Top of mind. Uh, falls, you know, so the issues that are top of mind are one, how can I continue to stay afloat? Do mm-hmm. I have enough cash to do that? How do I pay my rent? And how do I take care of my employees? And mm-hmm. finally, how can I make sure I do all of those and remain somewhat whole for the day where we go back to semi-normality? The anxiety, Michael. I can't. I can't even express it. Uh, it it's. It's. Um, it, it's. It, it's so. I mean, you want to cry. You want to reach out and, and hold them and say, "We're going to do this." And I think right now, uh, issue number one is trying to understand what these new payroll measures mean, what these new programs mean, and the biggest concern is the fact that they have to wait three to six weeks for those measures to be in place and for them to be able to access 
that money in order to uh, uh, to continue operating or pay their employees or at least try to make their employees whole. So if the gap between when there's a new measure that's introduced to help and when that measure is in fact operational, and it's that gap that is uh, making everyone anxious. So obviously, you know, our priority number one is to try to, to narrow that gap between right, right, right. the Minister of Finance, for example, making that announcement and it being operational. And that is where there's an incredible amount of anxiety. You know, we all know uh, it, it's a competitive environment. And even before we got into this crisis, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. retail was uh, under attack. Uh, because it was changing so quickly, consumers were changing their shopping habits, their lifestyle. So just add that. And so those are the, the big issues. If you look at the, uh, the essential retailers, and I'll focus a bit more on uh, grocery and pharma, it, it is it's what we're all reading in the newspapers or online, and that's you know keeping employees and customers safe and healthy ensuring that they, in fact, can keep their employees working. And uh, because, oddly enough, some of the measures that were announced while there to help uh, created some incentives for employees to stay home and not go to work. And we need those employees to serve customers in those essential uh, retail um, operations. The other one is supply chain, and you mentioned that earlier on. There was a lot of angst, and there was you know, the, the, that hoarding and that overbuying. And so uh, retailers were trying as quickly as as possible to readjust uh, their supply chain mechanisms, their operations, and their mm-hmm. store schedules to have enough staff to be able to fill the shelves that were uh, emptying uh, at the, right. you know, at the blink of an eye. So one one, uh, one retailer, key. you know, one retailer described that as, as like a shockwave that went through his supply chain. Yeah, and, and also a big concern, and in fact, we're going to be releasing a public service uh, video uh, in mm-hmm. the days to come. The biggest concern is as people are isolated and feel, you know, stuck in their space, uh, you know, the only chance they have to see the light of day apart from getting <laughs> on the balcony or maybe if they're lucky enough to go in their backyard is to go to the grocery store or, or the drugstore. And it is of great concern to those essential service retailers because in some cases uh, people are, are, are using that as kind of a, a social event, so they're taking the whole family. And so that increases uh, concern and chances of uh, spreading uh, the virus. And so those are the things that are top of mind for uh, for essential services. But you know the great majority. If you're if you if we're counting the number of businesses versus volume, uh, the greater number. There's a greater number of retailers who are on, um, you know, or in the, the critical list, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They are in malls or they're uh, in in the strip malls or the large malls. Uh, they're they're not getting any relief. Uh, substantial relief from uh, the landlord community, and if they are, it's very spotty. Um, they are starting to see some relief at the municipal level, but there is still so much. I mean, the big issue is liquidity, and so right. obviously right. we are pushing government hard to come up with a program, but 
you know, that's what, where we're, we have the most concern because they are, they're a challenge in a way that, uh, no one's ever been challenged before. And, uh, you represent retailers of all sizes, right? So Main Street independent small retailers all the way up to yes. uh, the major multinationals. Yeah. I think the, the Indies particularly, um, as we, as we might call them, have a, a certain set of, uh, uh, risks or a certain set of concerns. I think they, their liquidity, liquidity, liquidity. Is there anything else that you're wow. hearing from your small uh, industry? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, there was a, a uh, report that was released by the Canadian Chamber showing the amount of days, the amount of cash flow uh, that small to mid-sized retailers had. Uh, and, you know, the run rate was about, was less than two weeks for the mm-hmm. small guys. So you can imagine what that means. It is, uh, and, and we all know that for small, small and mid retailers, regional retailers, and then independent one or two store retailers, we're talking about, you know, owner operated, owner. Right. Uh, so that means they've put everything on the line. They've mortgaged their house. They've, they've done everything to keep their business going. This is, this is their life. And so that's why we're just not sleeping until we, uh, we see some light at the end of the tunnel for them. And we're doing everything we can. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, at one point, I'm always worried that at one point a senior government official is going to hang up on me, tired of hearing <laughs> uh, my voice and pushing hard. But, you know, that is yeah. our job. And yeah. and also, I think, you know, I do want to add this because it's important for um, all of your listeners. It's um, We have also decided, we made a decision that even though we, as a small business, that most associations mm-hmm. are, uh, we have decided to open all our services and all our resources to every retailer who needs it in this country, small, mid, or large, regardless of their membership status with us. This is a t- this is important. It's a time where we need to come together. We will do everything we can to remain whole. Uh, certainly not whole now, but re- you know, remain in existence yep, yep. and valuable. But right now, the key is we want to make sure that everyone uh, can get the support that they need, regardless if they're members or not. You know, on last point, and let's end on this uh, final question. You started chatting about what a great community retailers are and, and helping. Um, how can retailers help Retail Council of Canada help them? And they can, and the best way to do that is to go on the retailcouncil.org site and um, to go on the Corona page. And as they scroll down the main page, they'll see the list of um, many of our team members. And so we are encouraging them to reach out and to send us emails and to call us and to text us to tell us what else they need, what their concerns are. We get tons of great suggestions. Uh, and so this really helps us not only build the resources, but it helps us build our narrative around our asks to different levels of government. So the more they talk to us, the better we will be and the more effective we'll be for them. Well, Deanne, thanks for being on uh, The Voice of Retail. It's been uh, too long since we've uh, had the chance to have you on. I wish it was through a better time, but I can't think of a better leader to uh, to help this entire industry through this crisis. So uh, thank you 
so much for making time in your busy day, wow. and, and we'll get you back on in, in the near future and, and kind of update us as, as we go. And, Michael, thank you so much for those kind of words, and thank you for all the work. I don't think your listeners realize how much work you've done uh, for Retail Council and for retailers. So we make a great team. Let's put it that way. Frank, welcome back to The Voice of Retail. How are you doing? Uh, thanks, Michael. Doing fine, hanging out in uh, Singapore, but uh, doing well under the circumstances. Well, you know, it's been, uh, it seems like a, a year since we've spoken. So much has happened since we've last spoken, my goodness. Um, but let's get to that in a minute. Tell us, uh, for the listeners who may not have heard our earlier uh, interviews, give us a, a snapshot of your background and how you're uniquely qualified to uh, to do what you do and, and talk about what we're going to well, talk about today. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if unique fits, but but I'll say this. I've spent uh, virtually all of my professional life on market entry uh, strategies and programs, helping brands and companies enter new markets. And most of that has been China. So most of my professional life has been in uh, China-oriented banking, uh, public affairs, and now e-commerce, and that's been half my private sector life, but I also spent about half my life in government, and I was in the uh, U.S. Uh, executive branch for you know 15 years in the White House, National Security mm-hmm. Council, State Department, Commerce Department, but I was lead trade negotiator at Commerce for China. I was Undersecretary of Commerce, and prior to that, I was U.S. ambassador to Singapore, worked on the U.S. Singapore Free Trade Agreement for so a strong background on the policy side as well on the on the trade issues and market entry issues and the regulatory issues and product approval and all of that kind of led me to where we are now which is look if you can reduce those barriers that allow for market entry if you can reduce the labeling and testing requirements if you can facilitate the startup cost the more you shrink the costs of market entry the more easier it is for the mid-sized companies to make that migration and e-commerce, e-commerce fits very nicely into that. E-commerce just accelerates the whole process because you don't need to set up a physical store in China. You don't need to hire a team in China. You don't even need to incorporate in China. And you can have a Chinese language website facing off against Chinese consumers and run the whole thing from your, your head office any place in the world. It's such a uniquely well-timed uh, initiative for, for all the right reasons. Um, you, you know, when we spoke in early February, I remember our conversation, and it was more about, you know, what was happening in China with the coronavirus, how it was going to impact the supply chain, how it was going to impact China. Well, now, you know, not so far uh, many weeks away, we're now having in the middle of a, gro- a global crisis. Uh, you know, the, the UN is calling it the, the biggest global crisis since the Second World War. I mean, we're, we're looking at Marshall Plan-sized funding from the governments. And, and I wanted to start, you know, with that broader context is, is how's China doing in terms of their economics? And, and they seem to be coming out of it, uh, it being the coronavirus uh, crisis. They seem to be coming out of it, but you're uniquely positioned. Give no, us a perspective I, of how I, they're I, doing. I think that's a fair comment, but but it's, it's not going to be 100% recovery, but they're definitely, uh, March is a nice uptick from February. February was a tornado of bad news. February was... Mm peak coronavirus problems in China. And then, they, by the way, they handled it, I think, in February. They handled it very well, which was lockdown activity, quarantine activity, stopped movements, shut down factories, shut down schools. I mean, they really went, which is the way to do it. I think we're all sort of seeing this. So mm-hmm. they went very aggressively in February, and I think they did get their arms around the, the disease or the spread of it. That was pretty successful. But, boy, the economic impact of that lingers. And 
what you have, even when you sort of say in March, we're going back to work, uh, what happens is it's incremental. It just takes several weeks to get these factories open again, get supply chain going again. And now what we're seeing is a shift from the shock in China to the shock in North America and Europe, meaning demand is off. If you were making apparel in China, right. you can go back to work and make it. But that demand is you're not shipping to North America and Europe the way it historically. So, there were, so that there's a ripple effect, a ricochet effect back mm-hmm. on the Chinese economy. I'll tell you, though, uh, if I could say in this in this bit of bad news, the silver lining, at least for us, is there is a secular move toward e-commerce in any event. So we're going to see the e-commerce numbers in China be up year over year. Despite all of this bad news, uh, e-commerce is coming out ahead. So there is at least in our commercial sense of what we're doing, uh, you know, things are going the right way even as the economy is not fully recovered. And and for perspective, I think you've talked about uh, e-commerce being up to 30 plus percent of retail in China. So I'd imagine, you know, we're talking a more growth on already sizable, considerable yeah. large number, right? Right. That's that's the, the secret sauce or just the numbers, meaning in, in North America, e-commerce is something like 11 percent of retail spent. So it's a really nice add addition to your normal retail strategy. You get 11% lift. In China, it's something like 35%, and that's aggregate, meaning for the premium brands and the international brands that don't have as mature offline distribution, it's going to be 45%. So you'd say, boy, in in the U.S., in Canada, e-commerce is icing on the cake. But in China, it's mm. the cake. It's right, the cake right. with, with, with sort of no CapEx, no personnel, no storefront. I can hit 40 or 45% of my total addressable market anyhow. People say, well, let's just go do that. Let's get that going. Let's see. That's a freebie. So it's not free, but that's a very cost-effective sure, mechanism. Sure. And let's get that going, spend a year or two or three in that space. And when we start hitting a million or $5 million a year or whatever, we can think about a storefront. We can think about offline distribution. We, we've got plan B, but we're cash flow positive, the point is. So it's not, you know, I think the big fear is people look at Canada. They say this is going to just absorb money for the next 30 years before I break even. And you say, no, don't, right. don't look at it that way. Don't look at that. Right? You can hit break even year one, year two. So it's a much more reasonable bite. I, I was speaking to a, a retail CMO today, and we were kind of drawing on a whiteboard virtually, so to speak, scenarios of, of behavior. And this uh, apparel is tends to, they're a luxury apparel mm. retailer. Are there any lessons? Because, you know, the Chinese consumer makes up such a large port, part of global um, consumption in terms of luxury goods, even domestically as well sure. as, uh, as well as internationally. Are there any, it's early days, but are there any lessons as, as they start to rebound out? Like we, today we were speculating, would there be pent up demand? I'll tell you, we're seeing two or three trends there. We're seeing a very sharp demarcation between what the Chinese consumer would view as a necessity versus a luxury, uh, meaning a discretionary purchase. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a real snapback in the necessities. Obviously, food isn't there. But interestingly, cosmetics and apparel, uh, we have seen basically 100% rebound. But the, but the, but, but the place where they fall short are the big ticket items, uh, the big screen TV, automobiles. February, February auto sales in China were down 75 to 80%. 
Meaning, you know what? Wow. Maybe it is time in your household for a new car. Maybe you've been talking about it. Maybe you've said we really were going to go get one. All of a sudden, this this tidal wave of bad news comes in. You say, you know what? Let's just put that on hold for a few months. Let's make sure my job is there. Let's make sure we can pay the rent. Let's make sure everything else is okay. And I don't want to go out with my brand new car and then have the roof cave in. So, so you're seeing these. Let's make sure the rest of the let's make sure the rest of the world starts shopping again before yeah, I go. Make absolutely, a, a big ticket absolutely. Purchase, right? So, hmm. on, so what we're really seeing is the personal items, the personal care items, apparel and so forth, are the markets bubbling along. The market seems to be bulletproof that the people want and need those things, right? But the, but the bigger items, if you can push it off, you're pushing it off a bit. That's one trend. You mentioned other trends we're seeing. We're seeing a greater willingness, a skew toward any product that has a health and nutrition component. Not surprising. You're in the middle of this, you know, again, this tornado of bad news. Uh, so we're seeing things like even uh, uh, a gourmet or specialty soaps, imported premium soaps and uh, skin skin cleaning, right? That might be might be pricey, but you're saying these are, you know, this is a Swiss skin care product. Uh, you know, maybe you're worth a few extra dollars, right? So uh, so the re- the consumer receptivity to say. Look, a year ago, that was pure self-indulgence or maybe even vanity to buy this product. Now I'm saying, you know, it does have some health value. So why don't I just buy it, right? And it's a few dollars more, so I'm going for the upper end. So a little bit skewed toward health, nutrition products, and toward the premium products in that space. When we first talked in February, you know, you talked about these large shocks that happen. And we mentioned, uh, you know, we mentioned Brexit and we talked about the fires in Australia and we, we said this will be a similar shock. Is this a similar shock now or do you see this as a once in a generation? As I said, the, you know, the, the UN is calling this the biggest challenge since the Second World War. Have you ever seen anything like this? And do you think there's lessons to be learned from how well, I think the, the numbers here, from the numbers are going to be Second far World. bigger than the, you know, the cost or price mm-hmm. of Brexit or Australia. These numbers are, but this is global in scale. So this is affecting every market in the world and uh, it's going to have macroeconomic impact. You can't sound like the brush fires in Australia. You can say, well, this kills 60 days worth of activity or it's, there's a direct, you know, uh, no question it's punitive, but it's, it's a finite. This is, this is going to ripple on for a year or two. This is going to be closer to SARS or AIDS, but I think it's even bigger than those kind of global disruptions we've had. I don't know. I mean, you have to ask a story, and I guess this is the biggest uh, shock since the Second World War. I, I don't know. But it is a – I can't think of another natural disaster or pandemic that has a shock this big. And we're look, we're seeing government subventions that are providing financing to business and mm. help to displaced workers and so forth. So this is quite a spin-up for everybody, and it is not going to be just – even if we can say – in a few months, Europe and North America have got this stabilized. The The ripple effect is going to go on for a bit. This is really going to punish the global economy this year. You know, let's get back to the um, the Chinese consumer. And, and I was reflecting on the opportunity. And again, talking to retailers here in Canada, they're, you know, some for, for some of them, their stores are closed. So their minds are turning uh, even more so to e-commerce domestically. But they're starting to turn as well internationally. Like if, if there is ever a time to grow internationally, this oh. might be it. Is 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 that a fair line of thinking for them? And I'm thinking, of course, in the context of, of China. Is this the time now to go 
to China and, and start uh, setting this up? Is is the time right? Is it too early? Like, give me a sense of the, you know, what the right. what the best timing is in the approach well, yeah, to we've uh, had expanding few, your retail yeah. sales. Yeah, we've we've had a few of these conversations. You can imagine, Michael, and it's a really interesting point. I see a mm-hmm. I see a sharp demarcation. Two kinds of companies: companies that are fundamentally sound, but their sales are now depressed in their home market because of this, or they're they're flat, or some there's some problem now because of coronavirus. Those are the folks who say, "Tell me more about China." China is a booming market. Mm-hmm. The retail sector is outperforming the world. E-commerce is outperforming, and it's reasonably inexpensive. So those people who say my company is basically okay, but my sales are really off. Those are the guys we're having really good conversations with. The other group of companies are ones who say, look, I got a liquidity crunch. I've got a liquidity crunch because all of my inventory is in retail shops in North America and nobody's allowed to go shopping. And so I've got $15 million of inventory sitting on shelves that I can't monetize. The bank is mad at me. Everybody's mad at me. Uh, I'm not getting revenue enough from other sources. My online element of my business was only 8%. It was kind of immature. And so so I don't have the resources to go anyplace. I'm kind of in survival mode, and I'm just mm. I'm just fighting fires to get things straight down. Looking for a lifesaver. Can, yeah, I, the, the, can China be a lifesaver yeah. kind of Well, strategy, for that first right? group, it definitely is, meaning everything in my company yeah. is more or less working, and I've got, you know, let's let's talk to me about growth in China. For the second group, they're just kind of in survival mode. They've got a liquidity crunch. They don't have an appetite for any kind of conversation. <laughs> they're saying, uh, you know, I'm laying people off. I've got, you know, mm. I've got a long-term lease I got to get out of. It's uh, they're uh, so so. You see, you see a spectrum of behavior. But we're having some real interesting conversations with people in that first group who say, you know, I'm I'm a leading producer of God X Y Z. And uh, this U.S. company, Canadian company, we're selling this product to the market. Sales are going to be messed up in my home market this year. Uh, but what can you do for me in China? If we launched in China in the next three months or six months, what could happen? So let's, let's walk through some numbers. Uh, yeah, so, so we are getting an uptick in inquiries. We're seeing, we're seeing the cosmetics companies uh, come in, and we've got some nutrition-related products who are coming too. So it's a great – you know, it's a, it, look, it's, it's the – largest retail market in the world and it's the fastest growing retail market in the world that's sort of the good news the bad news so Mm -hmm. to speak is not really bad news but the bad news in most people's eyes are look i'm not familiar with this market i've got no personal connectivity there and i'm not 100 percent comfortable with it because because it's distant because there's a big cultural gap language Mm -hmm. gap because i don't really know it it's just a bit weird it's a it's a bit of a step for me to get to think about Mm -hmm. that you can go to anybody in Canada or the U.S. and you can say, I want to talk to you about the U.K. market. And they'll say, sure. I want to talk to you about France. Sure. I mean, the point is you have resonance there and people understand those markets and they can get there. But you say, I want to talk to you about China. They say, you know what, that's just not – there's a bit of a fear factor there or a bit of a hesitation factor there. So, so it's an extra conversation or two to get people to walk through to say, let me just show you what's going on in that market. I can walk you through the e-commerce sites. I can show you what your competitors doing in that market. I give you some sales data in your segment. And, uh, you know, uh, over time you can say, you know what, uh, China's a really appealing, the law of large numbers. It's just the biggest market in the world. So even if I don't have the same kind of import, I might have import penetration in UK on a per capita basis that is 10 times China but my total sales in China will still be bigger than the UK because the market is so much bigger. If you have the ability to move, even in bad weather, 
you need to move. And I think the worst thing you can do in bad weather is just be 100% passive, 100% fearful. Mm-hmm. And to say, look, we understand this bad weather. We understand it's going to be a challenging year, macroeconomic year in North America. We got that. Are we just going to be 100% passive and just hope January next year's better? Or let's take two or three baby steps. Let's try two or three things, even in bad weather. We might want to be more cautious than we otherwise would be, spend less money than we otherwise would be, take it step by step. But look, don't stand still. The world's not standing still. Your competitors aren't standing still. Technology's not standing still. You shouldn't stand still either. Well, it, it's great advice. And if, if people want to learn, uh, the listeners, retailers listening want to learn more about uh, you or your services, where can they go to uh, learn more? Oh, uh, please. Our website is exportnow.com. One word, exportnow.com. And I'm on LinkedIn at Frank Lab. And I love chatting with people, love talking about China, China e-commerce. I write a monthly column in Forbes. Happy to share that with you. And that's our life. That's our world. That's our passion is helping these great brands around the world succeed and win in China. Thanks so much again for being on The Voice of Retail, you bring such a great perspective. Uh, we all talk about the opportunity. Uh, we talk particularly these days about what's happened in China, what's happened in Singapore, but you're right there. So uh, such a great, valuable perspective. So thanks again for making the time. Michael, to, uh, thank to you. Chat. It's always fun. I always get excited uh, chatting with you. And, uh, we love retail brands. I love talking with you. Good luck with your podcast. Look forward to talking with you again. Mark, welcome back to the Voice of Retail. How are you? How are you doing? And and your family well and and safe? Well, we're doing good, Michael. It's nice to be talking to you again. Uh, the family's good. We're all working from home, so will we survive the uh, the kind of closeness of all working together twenty four mm-hmm. hours a day and being together? Like uh, that's another question. But yeah, for yeah. now we're surviving. This is not your first time on the on the podcast, but for those listeners who may not have uh, have heard you before, give us a, a, just a quick snapshot of, of your role at Retail Council Canada. Then we'll kind of get and uh, dig right into uh, what you're doing, have been doing on behalf of uh, of retailers in the province. Definitely. So I'm president for the Retail Council of Canada in Quebec. So Quebec has its own structure uh, because of different laws, because of the language. So we have a team of seven people in Quebec that look after all the GR events locally, communication locally in French and English, and a translator as well, because we, we do a lot of work with the other provinces and with the federal government, and we need to uh, transfer that in French uh, for our members in Quebec as well. Mm-hmm. So there's like a complete little uh, little team there that looks after this uh, this isolated French uh, French speaking <laughs> community in Quebec. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing on behalf of the retailers in Quebec to help them help convey their. Uh, concerns help uh, them help the people of Quebec be, stay fed and stay healthy. What uh, what have you spent your time on in the past couple of weeks and and in working with uh, with and uh, via the retail community and the government? Really, I mean, the main focus was really to grab the reins on this one and work with the government to ensure that uh, they knew they had a stakeholder that they could talk to for all all the essentials. So the number one focus for us was let's sit down and figure out what's essential and what's not in terms of retailers. Um, So we worked pretty hard with the government to keep um, 
uh, all the, of course, the food retailers open and pharmacies open, which was, uh, which was an obvious, but yes. hardware as well. And certain mm-hmm. mixed stores like the Canadian tires type, uh, uh, and Walmart, which they sell food, but we, they sell other things as well, uh, which was a bit of a challenge for the government to understand. It's important to keep all of these open because people are going to have, they are going to need the, maybe uh, something for their kitchen because a pipe broke off or, or mm-hmm. electricity because one of the uh, one of the switch uh, is not working anymore and they're all working from home, so you need to fix right. it. And, of course, the food piece has been our priority. So we shift all the focus on food and pharmacies because we need to feed everybody and we need to make sure the uh, food supply chain is strong, is healthy, and is surviving. So that's been our second focus. So ensuring stability for grocery and pharma, and we became the key contacts for the government. So we have every day, seven days Mm -hmm. a week, we Mm -hmm. have a meeting with some key folks at the premier's office, with with the MAPAC, which is the agriculture ministry, with the economic development ministry. So every morning we have back-to-back conference call with all of these offices and, and ministry to give them update on what's going on in the supply chain for food and pharma. And we're also re- liaising back to uh, the different supplier association, making sure that we understand if there's issue in the production side or the import side, just to make sure that there's always food supply. Also, uh, another role always with food, uh, well, grocery and pharma was how do we talk to the population and calm them down? And that's mm-hmm. one key thing that the government and ourselves have worked together on, uh, going through different interviews across different medias to tell the population, you don't need six months worth of toilet paper. Right. You, don't right. Need, you don't need four months worth, worth of eggs. They're going to go bad, you know, like, like it's okay. Just take what you need. Uh, because mm-hmm. that created humongous pressure on the food supply chain, notwithstanding that on top of that, restaurant had to reduce their capacity of 50%. And after that, they were all sure. closed off. So yeah. you only could do takeout or, or delivery. So that business went from like 20 some billion dollars to probably two, three billion dollars. Well, all that need for food went to grocery. That, so that was like a second layer of pressure on the supply chain sure. for the grocery guys. So working with the government really closely to ensure the stability and ensure that we understood what was essential and that we liaise every day with our members and with the government so we can actually look at what the needs are across all our different members and package that for the government and make sure that we can both act on making sure that ensuring that there's always a clear supply. And I would say the third piece is for all the retailers throughout the situation, throughout the COVID basically in the, this nasty situation was to work with the government on financial support, making them understand what the impact was. And since our premier, Mr. Legault is an accountant and Mm -hmm. used to be a business CEO he understands very quickly. Mm-hmm. You don't have to to, to explain that to him. Like yeah, I've been that. I've been very I've been very impressed by uh, by him and his, his and many of the premiers actually. But I've I've been impressed by him and his, his grasp of the situation, the magnitude, and you know what needs to happen and and uh, uh, you know what needs to be coordinated to yep. to you know help help the uh, people in the province, but also help uh, businesses as well. Well, just from the get go, the fact that they've opened up. 
um, th- this press conference every day. Like mm-hmm. this was not happening in the other province or at the federal level. So it, it created a pressure on, on the premier in Ottawa and the prime minister in Ottawa and then premier in the other provinces that, well, look how they're ahead. Look at the measure. Look how he's, he's talking to all of the population mm-hmm. every day, honestly yeah. telling them what's going on. And mm-hmm. that created a momentum for all the other provinces and the federal government to actually create the same principle. The population needs to know what's going on. They need to be reassured. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the leadership that they showed through their decision and through the way that they've done it, yeah, it's been it's been amazing. But working with them on supporting financially um, all the retailers and other associations have done the same for all the other businesses because we're all in the same boat. Um, it's been has been key as well. So they came out with different uh, program through Investissement Québec, which is kind of the the bank of the government that helps mm-hmm. businesses, like Caisse de Dépôt, which invests in businesses, and it's it's uh, it's uh, uh, all the retirement money that's in there from the government, uh, uh, and also government help. So we've had different layers of support coming in from the provincial government to help out businesses. At the same time, RCC has been working with the federal government and all the other provinces. So there's help, of course, from the federal government, and it's all layering up, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's um, you know, and, and a shout out to uh, the case because it was Ivanhoe Cambridge, which they own, that was one of the first big landlords to start talking about rent deferrals and and start to have those meaningful conversations. And a big shout out to you and your team. I mean, you know, this doesn't happen overnight. These kind of relationships you guys have. Uh, to be able to to be have the access is that that's not a relationship that's built over the past couple of weeks. That's been many years of of you and your teams working. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, let's let's talk now about uh, you know I, I don't know what we call the phase we're about to go into business as unusual perhaps, but you know we've been dealing with you know massive shocks and programs for the past daily almost for the past couple of weeks it feels like we're now about to start to enter a period of you know of, of just the you know really focusing on on our health but less changes in other words the stores that are closed are closed the stores that are open are open how are you and what are you doing for retailers uh, now and and in the future um that you've got some of that hard work uh, done but what are you focused on for the for the next uh, weeks and, and months to come i guess well, I mean, the stability in the food and the pharma won't stop. That uh, still needs to happen, and that still takes a lot of our time. Um, for instance, the government's been coming to us uh, all week this week. Uh, it's interesting when you got the ministers uh, texting you and saying, uh, give me your email, I want to send you something. Like it, It's those relationships, but to a mm-hmm. new level. And, yes. uh, and basically, they're saying, Mark, we've got these... Uh, fishermen on the north coast in quebec they usually sell their their products to restaurants in new england and to china nobody's buying right now they're going to go out of business they're not good the quebec ecosystem of various supplier that might Mm. feed into grocery or restaurant or exports is going to fall apart we need your help so of course we've been working with our members um all of them and that sell food to say, guys, we need to step up and we need to help the ecosystem here in Quebec. The same thing should happen in all the other provinces and is happening to an extent. 
But in Quebec, we've really taken it to a whole new level. We're building lists with all the different association of these different groups of all the different suppliers, what they're, what they're selling or what they're fishing and what they're able to give out. So to make sure, again, that these products find their way on shelf and consumer can actually buy them. So they're not going to go to restaurants right now anywhere in the world, but they're going to come to Quebec consumers table and, mm. and we're going to do this in different ways. So that's, that's like, and it, it doesn't happen overnight. So it's a lot of work to build that up with all the other groups, share it with, with our members to make sure that they're able to look at this and say, okay, I am going to buy some crab or I'm, I'm going to be short on meat because the meat's not coming from the West or from the U S so yes, I'll use that meat. Or I'll use this. And then it's going to open up all new opportunities of local. So that's interesting because local will probably grow for the short term, maybe midterm. Who knows what's going to happen down the road? So it's kind of a return to the local aspect, uh, sure. anyway, for food uh, to an extent. Those, you, you bring up you bring up an interesting point. Key. I just you bring up an interesting point. I just wanted to highlight is is um, of course there's two types of of people consume their food. You know, in food service and restaurants and in grocery stores and and the food that is prepared for food services and in the right format for you know it's in bulk or whatever. And That's I guess right. there's a lot of a lot of work to happen, a lot of cooperation to happen to say, well, listen, how do we get that food repackaged, reformatted? Just your example, you know, usually I was selling it to restaurants, you know, these are different labeling issues. These are different regulations. I guess there's a lot of work in there and smoothing that, that track to make sure that, that, uh, you know, bureaucratic decisions that the hold things up and, you know, as, as in the ordinary course are, are, are removed and, and the food can flow even in terms of being reconfigured, right. From one use to another, just as you were describing, right. Totally. And it's, it's kind of, as you start these projects, you also have to think about, okay, what are some of the next steps? So we need to educate mm-hmm. consumers mm-hmm. as well. So in all of our interviews with the different medias, we are, we're starting to prep consumer to say, you might see package that's not as attractive. The right, product right. is safe and is packed safely so you can consume it, but the package is not as attractive because that used to be food service products. Right. So it's kind right. of preparing the mm-hmm. population to say, Hey, you know, it's going to be different, but we're all going to be okay. And you're going to support your local businesses. I find really positive. So labor, though, labor is another big one, Mike. Um, oh, I can imagine, right? Oh, yeah. It was an issue before the COVID. Now, a lot of people are actually uh, out of jobs, but there's a huge need. If you look at just in Quebec of the major retailers, there's 8,000 jobs right now available on their website. Wow. Wow. wow, they've got huge needs, right? So if you used to be in the, uh, in the restaurant industry and you used to be a truck driver or you used to be a, a work in the warehouse and, and a lift operator, uh, we need you on the grocery mm-hmm. side. So go on the websites mm-hmm. from uh, all the grocers and apply for, apply for positions because we're looking for people to help because we've got plenty of work. We need to get it out the door. We need to fill the store. Same thing. If you used to work in restaurants, we need you in the stores because we need to fill those shelves. We need to service the customer, always respecting the physical distanciation. Uh, But but we need to get that done because those rules are actually slowing down our speed at filling those shelves and at getting things done. So we need people to help out. So that's labor is is going to be a major one 
this week, next week, and the and the following month, uh, Mike. And I think we're we're trying to find different creative way right now to work with Restaurant Canada, uh, the mm-hmm. Association of Restaurants in Quebec, to say, can you help us with your members with all the staff that they laid off, so we can actually they, we, they can actually gain back a salary uh, that's mm-hmm. reasonable, like they used mm-hmm. to. And sure. help out at the same thing at the same time the whole province by making sure we flow we flow food across to get them out to stores. So that's another big one. And I think mm-hmm. financial support not all resolved because again we're going to need to come out of this right. So yep. there's yep. going to be uh, different negotiation that's going to have to be done with mall centers, different owners of of of, uh, of, of location where the, the the retailers are. So that's going to be another wave. Um, Taking care of all these other retail sector that's been closed right now or deemed non-essential, yeah. we need to get them back. Otherwise, it's going to be so unhealthy as a competitive set, right? Because you're going to lose all these independents and all these other right. retailers. And you don't and, and retailers. That. And when you talk to the retailers, large retailers, I'm sure you have the same experience. They they welcome. A, a rich ecosystem, right? Of, yes. of, of a variety, main street retailers, all kinds of retailers, because that builds a, a rich, powerful ecosystem of, of retail. Right. So I think, uh, totally. I think we're all united in, in that Mark, um, for those retailers listening who either have store or either are based in or have stores or operate in Quebec, how can they get a hold of you, uh, and learn more about, uh, the work you do or, uh, find out more? What's the best way to get in touch? Oh, get in touch with me uh, through our website, through uh, through my email, which is mfortin, so M-F-O-R-T-I-N, at C-C-C-D, hyphen R-C-C dot org, or call me uh, on, uh, uh, on, uh, on my line at 514-316-7620. You're welcome to, to call me. It goes directly to my cell phone right now because we're all working from home. And I'll be able to call you back and help you out as you need, depending on the needs you have. Well, Mark, it was great to hear your voice. I wish I wish it was in person. Um, I love spending time with you, and and uh, you're kind of rich in experience. And but it, we'll have to wait uh, for now. It's going to be uh, going to be over the over the line online, and and I want to get you back on the podcast in the months to come as we kind of continue to update so for now you're so busy so so thanks and appreciate you making time to, to speak with the voice of retail and, and i wish you and and your entire family and and the team there in montreal uh, be safe and and healthy thank you michael be safe too well thanks to deanne frank and mark for being my guests in this episode retail news of the week will return next episode as it returns to my two interview format that's a wrap on this edition of the voice of retail if you like this podcast you can subscribe on apple itunes your favorite podcast platform Please rate and review and be sure to recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail industry. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of Emmy LeBlanc Company, Inc. And you can learn more about me on www.emmyleblanc.co or, of course, on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a safe week.